0: Um, Matthew chapter 20 is our reading today and we're going to read the first 16 verses here. So Matthew chapter 20 in verse 1 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the labourers for a denarius a day, he set them into his vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the labourers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have been borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with what, what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And that's our reading for today. Um, so, we're back to another parable. I think it's been a few weeks since we've had a parable. Um, I think, anyway. Um, and this is a parable about an employer and people who work for him. Um, and I'll just do a quick kind of rundown of the story, because it is quite a long reading, actually. Um, but it's a really, really simple story, actually. Um, What happens is, this master of the house, this man who owned a vineyard, went into the marketplace each day and would look for workers to come and help him um, work in his vineyard. This was a really common practice at the time um, in the country that they were in, um, and there would often be people waiting about in the marketplace, waiting to be hired for the day, and this kind of day labourer job. And I was doing some reading on this and actually apparently being a day labourer having this job was arguably worse than actually being a servant or a slave because you didn't actually know where your next job was going to come from even though being a slave or being a servant the conditions aren't great at least you know you're going to get fed at least you know that you're going to have a roof over your head with these day labourers they were just showing up in the marketplace and hoping to be hired each day with no guarantee of work so what happens is this master of the house this owner of the vineyard comes to the market um, at six am, which is when the kind of working day would start, they did twelve-hour working days, six am till six pm, and he got some workers in, and then later on in the day, about nine am he went back to the market, got some more workers. Uh, about 12pm, about lunchtime, he goes back gets some more workers. And then at about 5pm, just towards the end of the day, he goes and gets some more workers. Um, and the reason why he's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to get so many workers is um, the grape harvest at the time kind of ripened around September. And then closely after that, it was rain season. And if you didn't get all your grapes gathered in by the time the rain came, they would just be wasted and your grapes would be washed away and you'd have nothing to show for it. So it was really frantic work. This was really the busiest time of the year and um, for people who own vineyards they were trying to get as much workers as possible and to gather in the grapes even if it was just for an hour of work really as you can see here so this master's going back and forth all day and at the end of the day the master gathers in all the workers to pay them um, he says right it's the end of the day at 6 p.m the sun's gone down gather the day laborers in and we'll pay them And the people who were hired last, so the people who only worked one hour, they worked from maybe 5pm till 6pm, were paid first. So they were first in the queue. And they were given what's called one denarius, which is just one penny, which would have been one day's wage. A pretty generous wage. Despite the fact that they'd only really worked one hour. So lucky for them, they got a really good wage for only really working one hour. But behind them in the queue, the men who had worked the full day, the men who had worked the full twelve hours, could see this, and they were kind of peering and thought, "Hmm, they got paid a full day's wage for only working one hour, and we've worked a full day, so we'll probably get more than that. We're bound to maybe maybe we'll even get twelve denarii because we worked twelve hours." But they didn't. They got to their point in the queue and they received the same. They got one denarius, the same that everyone else had got. So they started to complain. They started, they thought, this isn't right. This isn't fair. We've done a lot more work than these other people. We've worked a lot harder. We should be getting more than them. But the master reminded them that he had promised them one denarius, and that's what he was giving them. He reminded them he hadn't done any wrong to them. He promised them something, and he's delivering. And he finishes the last verse, in verse 16, he finishes with this little proverb, or this little phrase, and it states, so the last will be first, and the first last. And it kind of, and he says that at the end of chapter 19, if you look, it kind of sandwiches this parable, um, a kind of similar phrase. It says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So it's kind of sandwiching um, this parable. And I think what we have here in this story is really a story about fairness. And I think that's a main theme in this parable, fairness. And I think, upon first reading, I think we could maybe relate with these workers um, I think we could maybe understand oh, they, I can see why they're feeling hard done by this is an injustice, this is unfair that they had worked for 12 hours the others had only worked for one hour and they were being paid the same that doesn't seem fair and also it mentions that the sun had gone down for that one hour they were working from 5pm till 6pm the sun had gone down they were working in the, the cool of the night rather than in the baking heat of the sun that they'd had to work in all day it doesn't really seem fair and I think this kind of highlights as humans that we are obsessed with fairness. I mean, how often have we heard people, children and adults, say, it's not fair, it's not fair, that's not fair. I mean, I, I've said it many times myself. Um, I think since I've been preparing, I've kept trying to be like listening out to hear if I've heard anyone say it, and I actually have. I heard someone say it the other night at Exchange, we were playing table tennis and um, I was playing one of the younger people, and I was winning obviously. And um, I hit a shot, and it was just a flip, total fluke flip shot, and it hit the kind of corner of the table and went flying, and they couldn't reach it, and I won the point, and I won the game. And they just said, "That's not fair," even though it totally was fair, and I totally won the game. Um, but it's just—it's a common phrase in our life. Um, another kind of trivial example I was thinking of that happens to a lot of people, I think a lot of people maybe can relate. You're, you go out for dinner with your friends and you're maybe a wee bit strapped for cash so you just order you know, a wee starter, maybe a wee glass of water, you don't go overboard and the people around you are ordering three courses, sides, a uh, bunch of refills, desserts, everything. And then the bill comes and they say, oh we'll just split it evenly. And internally you're screaming thinking, that's not fair. Um, but you just pay anyway. We are obsessed with fairness. And those are trivial examples, but I think there's more serious examples of people who move through their life thinking that their life is unfair. You know, people in their career, they think, you know, I've worked twice as hard and gotten half as far as the people around me, that's not fair. Or, you know, people who look at other people and they think, that's not fair, they are so much nicer looking than me, they're so much smarter than me, they get much better grades than me, they're so much more likeable than me and i don't even know how or they're just so much funnier than me it's not fair or even more serious examples they've got much nicer friends than me it's not fair much better marriages than me it's not fair or look at their children their children are so well behaved and mine are little monsters it's not fair how has this happened i think that we are obsessed with fairness and that's where this little phrase comes in at the end verse 16 so the last will be first and the first last as i said this kind of Sandwiches the parable. And what this little phrase means is that everyone finishes the same. Everyone finishes the same. Because the only way that the first can be last and the last can be first is if everyone finishes the same. So picture a running race. This is a kind of athletic metaphor. So you've got two people running a race, say 100 metres. And they both, if they both cross the line at the exact same time, the first is last and the last is first. They finished the same. So why is the Lord Jesus telling this parable? Why is he talking about this? Let's just set it in context a wee bit. I wasn't here last week, but I believe it was Kevin speaking. and He was speaking about uh, the rich young ruler, which is a great um, story in the Bible, about um, a young man, a young rich man, who was not willing to give up his material possessions to follow Christ. He couldn't let it go. And In verse 27 we read, that Peter, one of the disciples, said he had given up everything to follow Christ. So what was he going to receive in return? He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Implication is that he believed that he would be given more in return because of his greater degree of sacrifice than those around him. But it's being made clear here that all who come to Christ's kingdom, all who come to Christ's kingdom, will receive the same thing, and that's eternal life. We're going to talk about that a wee bit more. Those who come to Christ first will receive no more than those who come last. And those who come last will receive no less than those who come first. The same eternal life is given to the thief or the murderer who changes his ways and comes to Christ than the missionary who serves God in Africa for 50 years. The same eternal life is given to the converted drug addict who's been on a downward spiral for years and comes to Christ as you know, the elderly man or woman who's not really put a foot wrong, who's lived a pretty upright life all who come to Christ will receive eternal life um, this week I was reading a book actually called The Prodigal God by um, Timothy Keller it's a really good book actually, I'd recommend it, just a short wee hundred pages um, and it's just a really, it's a deep dive into the parable of the prodigal son um Although it says in the book that we shouldn't call it that, we should call it the two sons, because it's um, the parable of the two sons, because there's a really big focus on the other son as well. Um, and if you don't know the prodigal son story, I'm sure you do, but just to quickly explain, there's a young man, he takes his dad's inheritance early, goes off to a far country, blows it on whatever, wastes all his money, parties it away, and then the money runs out and he has to. there's a famine in the land, he has to go back to his father And his father takes him in with open arms, runs towards him and throws a big feast for him and gives him so much love and attention. But there's another brother who sees this. He never left and he's jealous. And he thinks, this isn't fair. I've been here the whole time. I've never rebelled against my father in this dramatic way. Why is my brother getting all this love and attention when he's wasted all his money? It's not fair. And I think we see a somewhat similar attitude from Peter here um, in the context. He was essentially saying that he deserved more than other people because of what he had sacrificed. Um, I do want to make a little disclaimer here as well. Um, Later on in Scripture, in the epistles, it does deal with um, rewards for um, the service of believers. Um, But I think in the context of this passage we're talking about the reality of eternal life itself. um, Because these rewards talked about are not based on time given but on motive the motive of our service Um, it's in 1 Corinthians I think 3 and 4 I think we see that Um, but anyway the last will be first and the first will be last let's get into this um, little phrase all who enter Christ's kingdom will receive eternal life now you might be thinking how is this fair how is it fair that everyone who enters the kingdom receives the same gift of eternal life how can it be fair that people who have done these terrible things people who have done the worst kind of things are able to enter the kingdom of heaven along with people who haven't really done that much wrong in their life, to be honest, people who have lived pretty good lives. Well, to answer that question, I think we need to go all the way back to the start of the Bible. We need to go right back to Genesis, because the Bible tells us that we have all rebelled against God. Back in the early chapters of Genesis, we see that initially man was living in perfect harmony with God, as he was meant to. You know, the story of Adam and Eve, I'm sure everyone knows the story of Adam and Eve. But then sin crept in, and sin corrupted man. And ever since then, we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Um, God provided the law to show us how far we've fallen from his perfect standard. And I think if we all looked at God's law, take the Ten Commandments alone, the Ten Commandments is part of God's law. If we look at the Ten Commandments and think for ourselves, how long has it been since we failed to keep all of these? I would argue probably less than a day maybe even less than half a day maybe even less than an hour that we fail to keep even just the Ten Commandments which is only part of God's law. We are incapable of meeting God's standard God's perfect standard because of the sin that's corrupted our life. So I think we need to pivot our viewpoint. I think we need to what was being done in this parable they were pivoting the viewpoint and I think we need to do the same. I think we need to stop asking what we're owed by God because the Bible makes it clear that God doesn't owe us anything Um, we can't even keep his law for one day of our long lives so God doesn't owe us anything we can't meet his standard for even one day probably not even one hour Um, so I think we need to pivot our viewpoint from this kind of entitled what does God owe me we need to move to look instead at what God is giving us I think, as a culture, we are quite. I hope we don't mind me saying this, but I feel like, as a culture, we are quite entitled, especially in the West. Um, occasionally, we do have these moments of sort of self-reflection and how privileged we are. Um, you know, it's usually in times of crisis for other people, and especially I think right now of Ukraine. A lot of people are kind of thinking, "Oh my goodness, we're so blessed to live to live where we live, etc." But these moments of reflection generally don't last very long. As a culture, we do tend to be quite. Entitled, So I think that we need to pivot our viewpoint and look at what God is giving us, what God has given us instead. And I want to talk about something in the Bible called grace. Grace. So really, grace is a really prominent uh, theme in the Bible, really prominently spoken of in the Bible. 131 times it's mentioned in the Bible, 124 in the New Testament alone. It's really prominent is grace. And this parable, the parable of the labourers in the vineyard that we've spoken about, this wonderfully demonstrates this principle. So what is grace? What am I on about? What am I talking about? Grace is essentially undeserved favour. It's being given something that you don't deserve. Um, and the book of Romans goes into it. Grace, um, if you want to read into it. Romans 3 and 24, for example, says, "...being justified freely by his grace." To the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is what causes God to give to us, us. We have rebelled against him. We have fallen short of his perfect standard. That which we don't deserve. So let's go back to the parable. Last will be first and the first will be last. That little phrase in verse 16. Last will be first and the first will be last. This is the essence of God's grace. God's When he gives to man according to his will and his pleasure, not according to what men deserve, because as we've established, men deserve nothing. God doesn't owe us anything. We've fallen short of his standard. Grace is God giving to us according to his will and his pleasure, not according to anything that we've done or anything that we've earned. We are the recipients of this divine, sovereign grace. And I think this is something that's quite um, foreign for us to understand or kind of wrap our head around because... It's not a kind of system that we naturally gravitate to. As I said, we're obsessed with fairness. And these systems of fairness are easy for us to understand. Fairness is just simply we get what we deserve, we get what we earn. But this system of grace is foreign to us because it's God dealing with us according to who he is, not according to who we are or what we've done. So we need to pivot. We need to pivot our viewpoint because eternal life cannot be achieved by our own thoughts of fairness. We are saved, we can be saved only by the grace of God. I think it was um, Kevin DeYoung, I think, who said, do we look at life, it's a bit cheesy, but he said, do we look at life through the glasses of fairness or the glasses of grace? I think he actually said the goggles because he's American, but I changed it to glasses. Do we look at life through the glasses of fairness or the glasses of grace? Now let's move on to something else. Let's go back to the parable. Let's look at these workers because I think there's some things that we can draw from these workers some interesting uh, lessons that we can take from them. These workers were in the market because they needed to work as we've established. Their jobs were hard, they needed to work if they, they were literally living hand to mouth every day getting just a day's wage handed to them at the end of every day. And if they went even one day without working if they went one day without this wage this would cause their families to go hungry their wives, their children They knew that they needed a job. They knew that they needed help. And they knew that this man, this master of the house, this vineyard owner was someone who could help them. And I think we can see an example in this for ourselves because I think there's a lesson to be learned because I think, yeah, there's definitely a lesson to be learned because there's a need in all of us as well that we all need to recognise. Like these workers who recognise their own need, we need to recognise our need. Because we need to recognise how far we've fallen from God's standard. And we need to recognise the problem of sin in our life that's corrupted us. Because there are consequences. There are consequences for our sin. This isn't just something that comes and goes in our life. There are consequences for our sin. Romans 6 and 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And the Bible tells us if we don't have this problem of sin in our life dealt with, then we'll spend eternity without God in a place called hell. So just as the labourers would die, as just as they would, their families would go hungry without the help of the master, we need to recognise our need and we need to recognise the help of a saviour. But there's a second part to it, a second lesson that we can learn as well. If we go back to the parable, this master offered work. He came every day and he offered work. But the laborers accepted. You know, they could have turned their nose up. They could have said, No, it's fine, we'll we'll get by on our own. We'll we'll make our own way. We'll get our own way of getting a wage today. It's fine. We don't need your help. But they didn't do that. They accepted the invitation. And there's a lesson here for us as well. God is inviting you into his kingdom. Will you accept his invitation? Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us that For it is by grace you have been saved Through faith We've talked about grace already But for it is by grace you have been saved Through faith You know when the Lord Jesus was here on earth We talk about it almost every week here He went to the cross and he was crucified And when he did that he took the punishment for our sins And we need to put our faith in him By grace you are saved through faith We need to ask him to forgive our sins. Because when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, when he died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sins. Because, as we've said, we can't meet God's standard. It's impossible for us. You know, it's quite often a common illustration used. um, But it's quite good, you know, there's a drowning man. um, A man lost at sea and he's drowning. Someone comes along and throws him a life ring. You know, the life ring is what saves him he needs to take hold of that he needs to have faith in this life he needs to grasp hold of it and have faith that this is going to save him and we need to be like these workers we need to accept the invitation of the master we need to recognise our need for a saviour recognise that sin has prevented us from getting into heaven sin has corrupted our lives and we need to recognise that the Lord Jesus can be our saviour as we've talked about already, keeping rules is futile to achieve salvation, it's not something that we can do on our own, we need faith we don't need our own ideas of fairness we don't need a perspective that God is owing us anything we need faith you uh, Luke chapter 23 um, I believe um, is a passage in uh, one of the later gospels where the Lord Jesus is crucified and but he's not crucified alone he's in between two robbers there's three crosses Um, and one of them on one side is just mocking the Lord Jesus is not responding at all it's just indifferent but there's one on the other side and he responds he recognises in the last moments of his life in the last hours of his life he recognises his need of a saviour he didn't do any good deeds in his life he was a convicted uh, robber he was being executed because he had done very few good deeds in his life he didn't earn anything but he had faith he had faith in christ and by grace through faith that man was saved and that man will spend eternity in heaven alongside those who have devoted their whole lives to christ he'll spend, etern- he'll spend eternity with christ himself the first will be last and the last will be first. So um, just to wrap up quickly. The last will be first and the first will be last. All who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus will by grace be accepted into the kingdom of heaven. We can't achieve salvation by our own um, ideas of fairness, by our own uh, entitlement. We can't earn salvation by good works, by rule keeping. It's impossible for us. I mean, we thought We can't even meet God's standard for a day. But remember these workers, remember they recognised their need for someone to help them. They recognised their need for a saviour. And they accepted the invitation of salvation. Allow the Lord Jesus into your life, allow him to change your life. And you can spend the whole of eternity with Christ, your saviour. Let's just pray. Father, we come before you. Uh, This afternoon, and give thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks that He went to the cross at Calvary and He died there for us. That He was a substitute for us and that He took our place, Father. We give thanks that we can be saved because of the Lord Jesus. We give thanks that even though our we can't do it ourselves, that we can't earn salvation ourselves. We give thanks that the Lord Jesus has made this possible. We pray for anyone in this room tonight, Father, who is, uh, this afternoon, Father, who has not yet accepted salvation. We pray that they would, would uh, recognise their need of a saviour, that they would ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness from their sins and allow you into their lives. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>